invite you to join me there if you're not there already. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. We're going to open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, those of us who are in Christ rejoice in that truth that was just proclaimed in song. That in Christ, this world is not our home anymore. That our citizenship, even as we saw in the book of Hebrews just a few weeks ago, is in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in that hope. And we know that uh, that hope is ours not by merit, not by anything that we have done. That hope is ours in Christ, by his finished work, applied to us by his grace, by faith. Rejoice in this truth, Heavenly Father. And yet I pray that even this morning, as we look at this passage, that we would see that the gospel doesn't just touch our lives at one point, but it applies to everything, every area of life. It changes us from the inside out. So Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit this morning, through your word, would work in each and every one of our hearts, that you would accomplish your purpose. Mold us into your image, Heavenly Father. Confront us. Point out our sin and lead us to repentance this morning where that needs to take place. And truly, our desire is that you would be glorified through all that we say and do, for you deserve all the glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we get going, I want to say thank you to Caleb and the deacons this week who filled in for me when I was sick. Uh, Really, we had a deacons meeting on Monday. Uh, I was not able to be to that one, uh, which worked out well for me because it was the longest deacons meeting of the year. This was the the financial one. Uh, And so I wasn't too terribly sad to miss that with the sickness, but in the Lord's providence, I did. And But it stuck around to Wednesday, and so Caleb had to jump in and fill in for me there as well. Um, uh, So Joe filling in, also speaking on Wednesday. So I want to thank you to everyone who who filled in so well uh, while I was gone. Uh, As you can probably tell, I'm I'm not back to 100%. I still have a cough that's hanging around, but I feel a lot better. So praise the Lord for that. You've probably noticed that the weather has started changing probably noticed that it's starting to get cold. But when it comes to weather, there's really two types of people. There are those who pay close attention to the weather, and they're the ones who are prepared for whatever the day throws at them. And then there are those who fly by the seat of their pants and simply react to whatever the day throws at them. I'll confess that I'm the latter. I really don't look ahead. I don't pay too much attention to the weather. Those like me, we're we're easy to spot. We almost never have an umbrella with us, especially when we need one. 
were either wildly overbundled or ridiculously underbundled. You see, when I wake up in the morning, I sometimes check my weather app to see do I need a coat today or not. But when I do that, my focus is really on the immediate. I don't even look at the rest of the day. Just my thought is right now, do I need a coat? Case in point, this week we had a crazy day on Thursday where we woke up in the morning and it was 60 degrees out. Beautiful day. So as we're getting ready in the morning, Krista, or Krista, Avery has her big coat on and she's going out to get in the car and said, Avery, it's 60 degrees, you're not going to need that big coat today. So she went and put the coat back and she got in the car. We went to school, I dropped her off. I had no idea that by 3 p.m. when we picked her up, it would be it would have dropped down to 45 degrees. I didn't see that coming. And I know that it's foolish. I know that, that I should pay better attention to the weather, especially living in Iowa. I know that. I have everything that I need to be prepared for the weather. There's no excuse for my lack of preparedness. I simply need to pay attention. I need to be purposeful in the morning or even the night before as I prepare for the day ahead. There needs to be purpose there. Pay attention, not just the immediate, but the rest of the day. What do I need? Maybe look a day or two ahead even. Show some purpose, some initiative. I know I need to do that. As we turn our attention to Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24, the Apostle Paul here also points out two types of people. He's really dealing with those who walk in darkness and those who walk in the knowledge of the truth, believers and unbelievers. And this passage is a call for those of us who are in Christ, who walk in the knowledge of the truth, to walk with knowledge and purpose. We have all that we need to live according to the truth. We simply need to be purposeful. We simply need to live prepared. So as we work our way through this passage this morning, we'll see your old walk, verses 17 to 19, and your new walk in Christ, verses 20 to 24. First thing we see this morning is your old walk. Paul begins this passage, this I say, therefore. This I say, therefore. Really what he's dealing with is the overarching call to walk worthy, as we saw starting back in chapter 4, verse 1. This morning we opened our service with a call to worship from Romans the end of Romans 11 into Romans 12. And as I introduced that, I talked about how that comes at the point of Romans where you transition from chapters 1 to 11, which is really doctrine heavy. This is truth. This is the gospel. To then chapter 12 to the end of the book where it takes that truth and then applies it to life very practically. This is what it looks like to live according to that truth. The book of Ephesians is very much set up in that same way. 
Chapters 1 to 3 is very doctrine heavy. This is what is true. This is who you are in Christ. And then chapters 4 to the end of the book deal with then, what does that look like? What does that look like? And it starts in chapter 4, verse 1, a call to walk worthy of the call to which you've been called. Walk worthy. Really, the, the rest of the book is dealing with that. What does it look like to walk worthy, to live according to the truth? The initial application that the Apostle Paul deals with in verses 2 to 16 of chapter 4 is that of unity and service in the church. A church made up of individuals of, who have been made new. What should that look like? And really, as we come to verse 17, it's specifically building off of verses 16. In verse 16, we see kind of summed up, verse 2 to 16, our responsibility for each other in the church. Now verse 17 to 24 transitions your responsibility for yourself. If we are all going to live in unity, if we are going to watch out for one another, if we are going to grow together in the Lord as a church, we've got to be watching out for ourselves too, right? You have a responsibility. If we are all doing this together and we're all watching out for one another, we must also watch out for ourselves. That's what he deals with here. So this I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord. He's being very clear here. This is not my suggestion. This is not something I think this is a good idea. This is God's intention. I'm testifying in the Lord. Paul here is speaking as a prisoner of the Lord, as we saw in chapter 1. And he's speaking with the full weight of the Lord's authority apostolic authority given to him. I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. You should no longer walk. You must no longer walk. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. You must no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. We've talked about the contrast in the book of Ephesians between uh, Jews and Gentiles. That tension between them. And then in, in chapter 2 and 3, the, the glorious gospel, the good news where the Lord has, has torn down and the cross of Christ. He has brought together. He is unified We have to remember that Ephesians is written to those in Ephesus. They are, by nature, by definition, from a Jewish perspective, they are Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. So Paul's not, not taking a little stab at them here. Really what he's saying is, you've been changed. Don't walk like you used to walk. Don't live like you used to live. The, the whole book of Galatians, even chapters 2 and 3, deals with the fact that being a Christian is not about being a Jew. 
It's not about being circumcised and submitting to the law and and doing what Jewish people do. That's not what being a Christian is. And yet, what Paul turns his attention on here is, it's also not about staying as you were as a Gentile. It's not about being a Jew, and it's not about being a Gentile. Being a Christian is about being in Christ. You must no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. You once were a pagan Gentile. You still live in the environment, in the context, in the culture of pagan Gentiles, but you are no longer a pagan Gentile. And you're also not a Jew. You're a Christian. You must recognize that in Christ you have changed from the inside that must make its way, its way out. Because you have been changed, therefore your manner of life must change. Don't walk, don't live like you used to live. Really here in the end of verse 17, down into verse 19, Paul paints a picture for us of what this living apart from Christ is like. What is it that you have been saved out of? It's a very bleak and hopeless picture. How is it that the the rest of the Gentiles, the culture around us, how is it that, that they walk, that they live? It's in the futility of their minds. Futility. Emptiness. This is their mindset. It's their way of life. It's a mindset of emptiness. It is empty of meaning, empty of purpose. Really, the idea here is they have lost touch with reality. Futility, it's a, it's a word that sometimes is used in the context of idolatry. Emphasizing the, the foolishness of idol worship, of bowing to a piece of wood that you made. It's futile, it's empty, there's nothing there. their minds. They've lost touch with reality. And it's not just the culture around the Ephesians. We see that in our own day, do we not? The world around us has lost touch with reality. They have no idea what the truth is. Just look at issues of gender, of sex, of abortion. They've lost touch with reality. One pastor said, Jesus' teachings aren't to be followed because they are a nice way to live a moral life. They're to be followed because they are the best possible insight into how the world really works. Brothers and sisters, we are not the crazy ones. It is the world around us who has no connection to the truth, no concept of reality. They are living in the futility of their minds. 
You've been saved out of that. Why would you continue to live that way? It's an emptiness that comes from the fact, as verse 18 goes on to say, that they have had their understanding darkened. They've been alienated from the life of God. They are blind to the truth and capable of even seeing truth. Alienated from the life of God. In fact, this is really, this is the core of the problem. They are alienated from God. Their understanding is darkened and their minds are futile because they are alienated from God. They're hopeless. This is not the first time in the book of Ephesians we've seen that word alienated. Going back to Ephesians 2. You were once this way. You were once dead in sin and trespasses. You once had no hope. Outside the promises of God. They are still as you once were. Hopeless. Empty. No understanding. Because of the ignorance that is in them. They're ignorant to the truth. They're blind to reality. Because of the blindness of their hearts. They don't know. They can't know because they can't see. In fact, the idea here of blindness is really even tied to the word of the, the idea of stubbornness. Even as Romans 1 makes clear, it's their own fault. Their ignorance and their alienation is their own fault. They're sinners separated from God. They're blind to their blindness. Just look at the language here. Futility. Their understanding is dark and they are ignorant. They are blind. They are aliens from the life of God. Verse 19 goes on. These are those who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. <clears throat> who being past feeling, they're so callous, their hearts are so hard that they don't even know that they are hurting themselves. They don't even know how dark and lost they are. It's a dangerous place to be. There's a medical condition, and I'm probably going to say this all wrong. It's called congenital insensitivity to pain and anhydrosis, CIPA. 
It's a condition where the pain-sensing nerves, something is mixed up there, and they're not connected to the parts of the brain that receive the pain message. It's a very dangerous condition. But it sounds kind of fun, does it not? It'd be nice to not feel pain. Right? Pain, pain's not fun. But it's very dangerous. It sounds nice when you think of like paper cuts and splinters and things like that. It'd be nice to not feel that. But imagine the damage that you would do with a broken foot not knowing it was broken. imagine cutting up vegetables. You can't feel anything. You don't know if you get your finger. It's incredibly dangerous. That's the idea here. They are past feeling. They don't even know that they are hurting themselves. They don't even know the damage they are doing. They have no idea of how lost and hopeless that they are. And so being so callous and so past feeling, they surrender to it. They give themselves over to lewdness, to work uncleanness and greediness. And, and there's a progression here. They give themselves over to lewdness. The idea of lewdness is to know no shame, to have no boundaries. Therefore, living... Fueled by this lack of shame, they work all uncleanness. It's a word that's really tied to sexual behavior, unrestrained sexual behavior. But in the context here, it goes beyond just sexual behavior. And it's even more broad to just unrestrained living in all areas of life, fueled by a lack of shame. No boundaries. In fact, it doesn't stop there, but they live this way with greediness. Greediness is a term that we often tie to finances, is it not? Someone who, who likes to collect money, they can't get enough of it. They're unsatisfied. They're piling it up. Here it's not necessarily a financial term, it's more just the idea of they are completely unsatisfied. They have a lust for more in all of their debauchery. They know no shame. They are unrestrained. And they are unsatisfied. And they have a hunger, a lust for more. Building and building and building. And all the time, they don't know that they are building up the judgment of God against them. They're blind to their blindness. Past feeling futile. And the implication here is simple. That's how you used to be. How could you still live that way? You who, whose eyes have been opened, you who have seen the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, how could you still live that way? 
You must no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. You've been changed. Act, think, live like Christ. In fact, that's exactly the direction that Paul goes in verse 20 to 24. That's your old walk, but this is your new walk. You have not so learned Christ. You've not so learned Christ. The idea here in verses 20 to 21, it really evokes the image of a school, of sitting and learning, of systematically growing in knowledge and being taught. This is not how you learned Christ. This is not what you have come to know. As we talk about the idea of knowledge and knowing, it's not just knowing facts. A lot of times in the Bible, specifically in our passage today, but Generally, when they're talking about knowledge, it's more than just I know that. It's I have a relationship with that person. We, we talk that way, do we not? If I'm introducing two people, say Dr. Rathman and, and Ron Harris, and I say, they both know Larry. They both know Larry Matson. I don't mean that they looked him up on Facebook. I don't mean that they've read about him somewhere. As I introduce them and I say they know him, what do I mean? They both have a relationship with him. Is that not what I mean? That's the idea here. You have come to know Christ. You have learned him. You have a relationship with him. And this knowledge, this relationship has changed everything. You know better because you know Christ. You've studied him. You have learned him. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Again, that idea there, beginning of verse 21, if indeed, when commentator O'Brien Notes that this phrase is not meant to express doubt, but confidence and certainty. In fact, it is, it is meant to evoke agreement with an established truth. It would be like if I said, if you know Altoona Regular Baptist Church, you know that they stand on the word of God and they preach the word of God. I'm not questioning there whether you know that or not. But it's a statement that's meant to evoke agreement with an established truth. That is true. You know that to be true. We both know that to be true. That's the idea here. That's not how you've learned Christ. Because you know. Because you have heard him. You have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. There's really two steps to this knowledge, two steps to how you have learned Christ. Number one, you have heard him. 
This is their initial knowledge of Jesus through gospel proclamation. It is their response to him in faith. You have heard the gospel. You have seen who he is. You've believed. But that's not where it stopped. You heard him and you've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Building on the foundation of that original knowledge of your original confession of faith, we build on that with further systematic instruction in the word of Christ by the faithful teachers given to the church that we just saw in chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. These gifts that God has given to the church to equip the church, to instruct the church, to teach the church. You've come to know him and you've grown in your relationship. You've grown in your knowledge of him. As the truth is in Jesus. That's an interesting phrase there. It's the only time in the book of Ephesians where the name Jesus stands alone. Where it's not connected to Christ or Lord. It's just Jesus. The focus there is on the incarnate word of God. The historical Jesus is the embodiment of the truth. Even as John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what does it go on to say? The Word became flesh. That is Jesus. You've come to know Him, you've seen Him, you've, you've experienced, you've grown in this knowledge. This is real. So how does what you have learned, this fact that you have learned Christ, you've heard of him, you've been taught by him, how does that apply to your daily lives? How then should we walk? We know how we shouldn't walk as the rest of the Gentiles do. Because we've learned Christ, so how should we walk? There's three things that the Apostle Paul lists here in verses 22 to 24. Put off, be renewed, and put on. First thing we see is a call to put off. Really, it's a return to the imperative of verse 17. You should not walk like this because you are not like this don't walk concerning your formal former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts there's a call here for for change for growth once you've seen the truth once you've come to know the truth you can no longer live a lie so stop living a lie. Put off. Get rid of. 
Stop feeding this old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Grows corrupt. That's the idea of sin's perversion, its ultimate consequence and death. It's even the progression that we saw in verse 19 from lewdness to uncleanness and this greediness. Put that off. But how do I do that? How do I do that? Verse 23, by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. See the need to put him off. See the need to grow and to change. And pursue that by renewing your mind. This is an idea that we see all throughout the New Testament. From the passage that we read this morning, Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Turn over there really quickly. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We see this idea, again, in Colossians 3, chapter 2, and Philippians 4, 8, and 2 Corinthians 4, 16, and 1 Peter 1, 13, and 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 5, just to name a few. All throughout the New Testament, this idea that you who have been made new in Christ should be renewing your mind. That's how you grow. That's how you change. Renew your mind. How? What does 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 tell us? It is the word of God that is given so that we may be perfect, fully equipped for the good works that we've been called to. To renew your mind is to continue to learn the truth in Jesus, to continue to submit to the Lord and his work. It is no longer a mindset of emptiness, it describes those Gentiles, the culture around you. Brother, this is a mindset of purpose. I know I need to put off the old man. I know I need to renew my mind. I want to renew my mind. So I will sit. I will soak in the word of God. I will come to know the truth all the more and all the deeper. It's the word of God that is active. It's the word of God that is at work, diving deep into your soul. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Soak in the word of God. Keep learning. Going back to verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, that 
idea of have been taught by him, that's not a, that's not a one-time thing. That's not something that ends. That's the idea of renewing your mind, of continuing to be taught by him. It is a lifelong pursuit. In verse 24, having put off the old man, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new man. Your new knowledge demands a new walk. So put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Created according to God. There's two ideas there. Created by God, created like God. You see, all of this, verses 20 to 24, it's important to recognize that this is what God has done. It's not something you do. God has done this. You must live like it. In fact, the assumption behind many of the commands here in verses 20 to 24, in fact, all three responses of putting off and renewing and putting on, is that in doing these things, we are responding to what God has already done. Notice he doesn't say, That you need to form the new man in yourself through your works. He simply says, put him on. Put him on. You are conforming your outward life to your inward reality. You are living outwardly like you truly are inwardly. You have been made new. Live like it. God has made you new in Christ, by his grace. Live like it. Put on the new man, which was created according to God. Like God, remade in his image, in true righteousness and holiness. Note that word there, in true righteousness and holiness. Not a fake righteousness and holiness that you put on yourself, Kids are like that, are they not? They'll do something, you're like, oh, that was sweet. And they'll say, hey, Dad, did you see me do that? And they want to draw the attention to themselves. They want you to see them as good. That's for show. This is not fake. This is true. It is who you really are. True, inward righteousness and holiness true righteousness and holiness in Christ that gives you boldness to come before the father's throne first peter 1 verses 13 to 16 be ye holy as i am holy this is your reality it's who you are in Christ you have been made holy You will be made holy. There's an already not yet aspect to this. Before God, you stand as righteous, as holy, and yet 
We still live in a sinful world, in our sinful bodies. We're still fighting temptation. Hopefully, we are growing as we put off the old man, as we renew our minds through the word of God, through church, through fellowship with other believers, as we renew the spirit of our mind. We are putting on the new man. Created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You've been made new. Live like it. Really, if you sum up verses 20 to 24, the two things that are required for you to grow in Christ is knowledge and purposeful action. Knowledge, know the truth, be renewing your mind. And then take action purposefully. Put off the old man and put on the new. Brothers and sisters, we must walk with purpose. This is what God has done. And yet there's a clear responsibility in this passage on each and every one of us. Based on what God has done, we must be taking action. We must be purposefully renewing our minds and taking off the old man and putting on the new. We must live according to the truth. So stop living like you're dead. Stop closing your eyes and choosing to live in darkness. Live with purpose. The purpose that you have been given in Christ. Live alive. You've been made new. Live like it. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Why? Because that is not how you've learned Christ. Because you know the truth. Because you've been changed by the truth. Because you've been called by the truth to something so much better. So live according to the truth. Not like a Jew, not like a Gentile. Live like a Christian. That's who you are. So live like it. I don't know what things the Lord might be doing in you this morning. Maybe there are very clear areas, very clear patterns in your life, very clear areas where you know, I am not living as I should. I would call you this morning, brother and sister. Repent and start living like you have been made new. Not in your own strength, but simply start by recognizing the need to put off the old man and then take the step of purposefully renewing your mind so that you can put on the new man that is yours in Christ.